Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And I am Dan McCombie Freeland, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We have got a great show lined up for you guys this week. There's no UFC this weekend. Sad face. But we do have Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series returning for their third season coming up this Tuesday, June 18th. So we'll be talking to two of the fighters who will be making their case to get their contracts. Both Brock Weaver and Callie Robbins stop on by. Plus, our combat countdown is going to stay Contender Series themed. We're going to count down our top five Contender Series alums. And let me tell you, there are some killers on this list. Plus, there would be no episode without our fastest fight news segment. We're going to be talking about UFC 238 and all the craziness that happens from it. Plus, we'll play matchmaker with a couple of uh, the winners and maybe a loser or two as well. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Head to ADKFightwear.com. Make sure to use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you're going to get 20% off your order there. And let me tell you, 20% off your order there gets you some real, real inexpensive jujitsu gear. You can get a t-shirt there for just $7.50. You can get a short sleeve rash guard for just 20 bucks. You can get their brand new, just recently released gi, their basin gi, for 64 bucks. That's right, just 64 bucks for a brand new, high quality gi. And this is high quality jujitsu gear. You're not going to find it anywhere else on the internet for that price. Head to adkfightwear.com. Check out their whole line, which also includes things like spats and sweatshirts, at adkfightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby, Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Kelly Robbins, who fights Hannah Goldschmidt on Episode 1 of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series on Tuesday, June 18th. So, uh, Kelly, let's start with, with something I've always been interested in. I love a good nickname story. You've got one of the most <laughs> unique nicknames in the history of MMA, Pop-Tart. Tell us where the nickname Pop-Tart comes from. Honestly, it's, it's just... Uh like food cravings during fight camps there's always something um every camp has been different and there was just one camp that all i wanted was pop tarts i swear to god like everyone was just eating them in front of me i don't even know but i just i posted about it so much that it just started to stick so it's really just because i i'm a fatty so (laughs) (laughs) well i gotta ask you too because i'm a pop tart guy myself do you have a favorite kind of pop tart too I always uh, go for the classic. I like strawberry Pop-Tarts, but uh, despite popular opinion, I know people are pretty crazy about the unfrosted ones and how they're not really real, but the unfrosted peanut butter Pop-Tarts are amazing. Wow, that is that is a hot take right there from, from Callie Robbins, that she <laughs> likes the unfrosted ones. Don't hold it against her. Now, let's talk a little bit about your MMA career, too, because, uh, you know, when you're 29 years old, you made your MMA debut, which is pretty late in your career, but here you are right now. Why did it take you so long to make your MMA debut? Um, honestly, I, I had no plans on fighting. Uh, I had been training, I don't know, for about, like, five years or so, so I had just gotten my purple belt at the time so I I've been training just for fun and by fun I meant you know like I was there you know two or three times a day I was I was training a lot I was training like it was my job already and I happened to 
um, kind of link up with the old training partner now, uh, Rocky Magdaleno, and she was getting ready for a fight against a good jiu-jitsu person, so I helped her out, and she was helping me out with wrestling, and then we were training together, and uh basically my coach at the time just started bothering me about it and then it was like every day I walked in the gym like when are you gonna fight and I'm like never <laughs> and then one weekend I wa- or one day I walked in and he was like what are you doing such and such weekend and I was like oh I got nothing planned and he's like cool I have a fight for you and I was like all right fine <laughs> so I kind of went into it like I I gotta at least try it it was on my mind a lot and it kind of gave kind of you know something to look forward to after training as long as I did. So, well, well, that certainly it doesn't sound like you had to twist your arm to do it. Now, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the wrestling <laughs> too here, uh, because recently we saw you on it, on social media doing some wrestling up the Ben Askren Academy. What what was it like working there, and and how did that come into play? Uh well, I've known Ben for a while. Uh, I you know we were both teammates at Rufus Sport, and then he would teach the wrestling classes for the pro team. Um, and then since I switched over to Red Schaefer MMA, we've kept in contact. So anytime there's a wrestling practice or, or something like that, especially, um, the, the last one I went to was an all women's, uh, wrestling class. You know, I try to make it up there, um, to support it. And it's just, you know, good to get different looks and things like that. Um, Ben's an amazing coach. If not just like his mindset and everything like that, it's, it's, uh, you know, the skill is there. So, I've taken a lot from him more than, you know, I think I know. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from a jiu-jitsu background, it's, it's really hard to kind of shift over and, and, uh, figure out wrestling. But, um, he's, he's a great, great coach and, and has, uh, you know, great, great mindset. And I'm glad you mentioned your jiu-jitsu background, too, because I was going to ask you a question about this. You're definitely jiu-jitsu heavy. Um, and I myself am a guy who loves jiu-jitsu. I'm a purple belt myself. But you're heading on to the Contender Series where it tends to be the flashy knockouts get the contract. Does that worry you at yeah. all that your style doesn't play into that as much? Uh, no. I think, uh, you know, I am I actually started training kickboxing before I ever did jiu-jitsu. I just, uh, jiu-jitsu was the thing that I spent the most time on. But um, since I started fighting, it's kind of reversed. Um, and I spend the most time striking and while it might not have shown in, you know, a few fights, uh, it took a little bit for me to trust it. And I, I feel like I've come full circle. Um, and now I feel very confident either way. And, you know, I have, I have submissions, I have a knockout. Um, you know, I feel confident in both. It's just, you know, um, believing in it. So I think, uh, the fighter that I am coming on to the show is the perfect kind of fighter. I, I'm I'm game everywhere, and I, I have the ability. So, do, do you feel like you have to switch around your game plan? Like, if you weren't fighting against Dan, in front of Dana White, would you be fighting a different kind of fight than you are going to fight uh, come Tuesday? Uh, no, uh, I'm always I'm always looking for the finish, regardless. So, and I think I've, I've proven that, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, in more than half my fights, I'm looking for the finish. Um, I, the, the point for me is to win and to come out like a polished fighter. And, you know, if the knockout's there, it's going to happen. And if the submission's there, it's going to happen. Um, I think in the past, what's gotten me caught up is forcing things. So, um, I feel like, I'm more patient. And so those things are going to happen a lot, a lot 
better than they would have in the past. So, uh, no, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be exactly who I am. I, I really don't know how to be any different. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you have a pretty flexible game plan, so you're not necessarily sure where this is when one's going to end. But I am going to ask you, you know, what part of your game do you think is going to impress Dana White the most? I mean, I just think I'm slick everywhere, and I haven't been able to show uh, show it all yet. Um, like I said, I do have knockout power. I I have great submissions. I feel very confident on the ground. Um, you know, uh, I I think that it's going to be impressive to see a well-rounded fighter that has you know you know power in her hands and and uh, you know the ability to finish a fight on the ground. Um, I, I think that I have one of the best ground games in the division and I would just, I'm, I'm going to be happy to show it, you know, and if I can't take it to the ground, I'm going to show it with my fist. So, well, we're excited to see it no matter which way it goes. Once again, this is Callie Robbins who fights Hannah Goldschmidt on episode one of Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. And that's on Tuesday, June 18th. Callie, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is Daniel Gumby, Greenland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Brock Weaver, who fights Leon Shabazian on Episode 1 of this year's Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, which airs on Tuesday, the 18th. So, Brock, uh, you know, you, you've been in MMA for quite a long time. Uh, I've seen some of your fights for Island Fight, and you usually have a huge contingency of fans in attendance supporting you. Have you thought about how weird it'll be in the tough gym with with only four or five people there? Um, yeah, man. You know, uh, I actually got like twelve people supposed to be there, so I'm gonna like try to sneak them in some way, you know. But if, if they only let four, then I told them they just gotta wait at the door and watch it on the app. Well, I'd certainly <laughs> like. <Green out. laughs> Well, I certainly like that you're going to try to get 12 in. That, that's certainly a, an interesting tactic. Now, why exactly is there such like a – I mean, they're, they're dressed up. They've got your shirts. They're, they're all clearly pulling for you. How, how is it that you pull such a large crowd? Well, see, I I come from um, a tribe, uh, a, a Native American tribe, small uh, tribe here in lower Alabama called the Moa Choctaw Band of Indians. And uh, we're a small tribe of the Choctaws, and we're a state-recognized tribe, still battling in court to be federal-recognized for many of years now. And we live in this one area here, and there's about a thousand, maybe a thousand of us left now around here in this one area called McIntosh. And, uh, man, um, ever since I'm known, you know, all Moas are known for is fighting, like, we go to the we go into the city. When we go to the city, it's like fifty miles north or south. And whenever people see us, we have this certain look on us. Everybody looks alike, or everybody's got these three last names that are the same: Weaver, Reed, or Rivers. And people know when we say our names. Oh, he's a Moa. He's here to cause trouble or fight. <laughs> and it's just a bad name for generations we we've had on us, and way before my time. And I think, you know, I'm the only one that has uh, took that that bad fighting spirit and name that we got on us and has pursued it into a career of something good. And my people have just been all behind me, man. You know, in Pensacola, ain't nothing but about a two-hour drive from where I am to, to Island Fights. And, 
Mississippi, you know, it's a couple hours too. So when it comes to fight time, you know, everybody Indians are known for drinking and fighting. So they know they're gonna be they're gonna they're gonna be alcohol to fights and a lot of fighting and then, you know, they come and it's it's just just the Moab pride, man, you know, and uh I think I've I've built a ba- uh fan base with, with other other places I have went to just because of the energy me and my people bring. I'd certainly love that. Now, by my count, you would be just the third UFC fighter of, of Native American blood, too. I know Jordan Griffin and Nico Montano as well. How important is that for you to get out the message uh, of the MOA? Man, it's, you know, it's big because, like I said before, we're uh, Jordan Griffin. And they, they might be, you know, federal recognized Indians. I'm not really sure. But being federal recognized means you get paid every birthday. It means you get many other grants. We get certain grants and stuff now, but it's nothing compared to what federal recognition can be. And to get my name, I don't even know if I could do it, but to get my name out there, to, to put on the tribe more on TV, to get us out there, you know, maybe one day uh, possibly run for the spot at being our chief, you know, um, it all goes to be federal recognized one day. And getting my people, you know, really recognized as, as Native Americans around here is just a, a bunch of mutts and mixed breeds like we're called for the longest. Well, that seems like an admirable goal. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the fight, too, because you got this fight coming up with Leon Shabazian. It's a pretty exciting fight stylistically. You know, I've seen a lot of your fights. You seem to lean on the boxing because you got a little bit of a boxing background. But how expe- exactly do you expect this fight to go with Shabazian? I, you know, I've seen some videos on Shabazzian, a little old videos, but nothing like super new. And, uh, I, well, you know, I, I looked at his record. He, uh, he, he, he ain't fought no killers. I mean, he fought Gabriel Green. I watched, I watched a couple of videos on him and he seems pretty decent. You know, he seemed like a killer, a gritty guy. And he, I think TKO'd Shabazzian mm-hmm. in, uh, in the first, I think. So, you know, um, Stylistically, I think I'm better. I'm faster. I'm stronger than uh, Gabriel Green. So if Gabriel Green could get in there, and what I, you know, what I mean by that is, I don't think Shabazzian has been tested by a killer, by a, a real veteran fighter. Everybody's fault is, is has losing records, and he standing guillotines. You know, I'm a guillotine guy too, so I know how to stay out of a guillotine just as much as I know how to put in one. I think he would lean for that if I, if I hurt him. I think I'm a I'm gonna come out this fight. I'm a pressure, be very aggressive. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna make it out the first round with me, but if I do, I definitely don't think he's gonna make it past the second. It could end with me TKOing him or him running into one of my guillotines off of me hurting him, him shooting desperately, leaving his neck. He has a long neck. So yeah, guillotine or definitely a TKO for sure is what I'm looking for. I do not think this fight will make it to the third round. I might be wrong. He might have heart. His brother, his brother's good. His brother's tough. I don't think that he's uh, got the same as his brother's got in him. It don't look like it. So I'm looking to, you know, break him, break him early. Now, now I've seen a lot on your social media, too. You've been working with, with Tyler Hill from Allen Belcher MMA on the boxing. How has your work with him sort of helped influence that, that style you were talking about? Well, me and Tyler, even before we fought with training partners, you know, uh, we, uh, 
we never really like technically stylistically sat down and helped each other it was just hey i'm a warrior you're a warrior i'm tough you're tough let's put on these gloves bite down on our mouthpiece and let's go three hard rounds and really try to kill each other and <laughs> it's pretty much everybody tyler hill goes with in sparring it's a fight i knew that from the first time i ever sparred it's some of them guys you can go easy with in the gym you can work on your technique you can flow you can stay from getting injured and then every now and then you run into a guy that's like, all right, this is my gym. I'm better. I'm the big bad dog in here. I'm going to knock you out if I can in here. And it's a fight every time. But every time me and Tyler love each other, man, we do anything for each other. I help corner him in his last fight. He comes. We, we work out together. But when we come to spar time, it's what we really go to each other for is sparring because he don't quit in sparring and I don't like to quit in sparring. And we really get that feeling of a real fight. You know, we really get tired and and got to dig and it's a real gruesome sparring matches. And that's what we like to go to each other for, I think. Well, yeah. And I imagine, too, that that would help on the Contender Series because, you know, Dana White always talking about the fact that he's looking for people who are willing to be in there in exciting fights. And it sounds like, you know, working with Tyler, that's exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's 6'3 also and Shabazzian 6'4". He's a tall, rangy guy. I think he's got way more grit than Shabazian. So, uh, I think, yeah, he sparring with him has definitely helped uh, increase the comfortability, com- more comfortable in myself and belief in myself that I'm going to break this guy. All right. And I got one more question, too, before we let you go here. So, I saw online that you had done some bare-knuckle boxing uh, you had fought Joe Diesel Riggs, of, of all people, an, an MMA legend in, in his own right. What sort of got you into bare-knuckle boxing, and is there any chance you'd go back to fighting that again? Man, you know, I'm, I really like got into this sport as a little kid. I've always been a big anime fan, and my favorite anime guy of all anime is Goku. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. – everybody knows Goku, you know. And what Goku liked to do the most was train and fight the strongest people or the people that he thought were the biggest names and strongest, he just wanted to test himself. The reason I fought Joe Diesel Riggs was to test myself. I got the offer. The man, at 180, I walk around at 180. All right, I ain't got to cut no weight. He's probably going to come from 215. He's a legend. It would be my honor to get in there and test my skills against somebody like with that much experience and possibly knock him out, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely thought I was a better boxer than him, even in the fight. Uh, I thought, you know, watching the fight, I thought I won three rounds or two, but I knew going to a decision with Joe Diesel Riggs in a close decision, mm-hmm. I knew there was no way I would win a decision. He, uh, you know, he fought good. He fought smart, too. So he kept it real close. And he's a big guy. He's a big-name guy, and he's a real nice guy. And uh, we're real good friends now. And uh, it was just an honor to fight a legend like that, and I'm looking forward to fighting more legends, man. Well, we love that mentality, and we, we, we certainly think it's going to play well in the Contender Series, which once again airs Tuesday on June 18th. Once again, this was Brock Weaver, who fights Leon Shabazian on that very first episode. Brock, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yes, sir, no problem. And those interviews with Callie Robbins and Brock Weaver were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only 
app for your phone to help you log your BJJ training. That's right. There's now an app on your phone that allows you to track your BJJ training. Let me explain to you how this works. You're going to go to the Apple Store or Google Play, and you're going to download Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Once you've got it downloaded, you're going to set up your profile with your name, your belt level, maybe where you train, as well as, you know, a couple other things about you. Maybe you want to log your weight so that you can keep an eye on upcoming competitions. So once you've got all of that, you can start logging your training sessions, which is really cool because it allows you to leave yourself some notes, maybe on some techniques that you want to remember. It allows you to look at what techniques you're training more often, and it allows you to track how often you're training and whether or not that trend is upward, like we'd like it to be, or downward. Maybe maybe life's getting in the way and we need a little pat on the back. So Maroon Social is going to help you stay on top of all that. You can also log your, your competitions, maybe some seminars you win. You can tag some friends to try to get them back in the gym. It's a great app and it keeps you doing jujitsu. Maroon Social. Now, let's get back to the show. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I gotta know. Did hearing that Callie Robbins likes frostingless Pop-Tarts make you root against her this upcoming Tuesday? You know, my first reaction was, well, that's a little weird. But then when I thought about it some more, I kind of respect the hustle. Maybe <laughs> she's trying to make weight, you know, it's, it's a healthier way to consume a Pop-Tart. And let's face it, Pop-Tarts didn't always have frosting. That's somewhat of a more modern in- invention. So back in the day, Pop-Tarts didn't have frosting. So, so she's old school with it. I like it. That's a fun fact there from Shockwave Dave. You're getting all of your Pop-Tart history in. <laughs> I have no idea if that's true or not. I just assume <laughs> that Pop-Tarts did not start with frosting. I'll have the intern look that up as we speak. Uh, Gumby, what were your takeaways from uh, talking to her? Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be an exciting fight. You know, I think she brings a fun style. And I also am excited to see Brock Weaver fight, too. I, I think Brock Weaver's fight um, with the younger of the two Shabazian brothers is going to be an absolute banger. So the, those are two people who are on my short list to get a contract as is. And, you know, obviously, I'm usually a top turtle homer as it is. But these two definitely certainly bring it. Originally not frosted when first introduced <laughs> in 1964. It was later determined that frosting could withstand the toaster, and the first frosted Pop-Tarts were officially released in Gumby, take a guess, the original Pop-Tarts, unfrosted, 1964. When do you think frosting came out on a Pop-Tart? I'm going to say 89. I would have thought the same thing, 1967, three years after birth. So pretty early in the Pop-Tart game, so I was completely wrong. I thought maybe in her lifetime the frosting was new. All right, uh, let's get to our favorite segment on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment. It's Fastest Fight News. We deliver the news to you in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. And Gumby, there's really no better place to start than Henry Cejudo becoming the champ champ. I'm getting so tired of that expression. Wins the 135-pound title, beating Marlon Moraes, then calls out Dominic Cruz, the goat of the division, Cody Garbrandt, former champ, and recently unretired Uriah Faber. Your thoughts? Um, that is the most cringeworthy thing uh, Henry Cejudo's ever done in a long line of cringy Henry Cejudo moments. Because you're uh, speaking specifically about calling out Uriah about, Faber, right? Exactly. Well, or Dominic Cruz or Cody Garbrandt. Tell me how many wins those three men have combined in the last two years. Think about it. Well, uh, yeah, no. I mean, I can tell you right now. I would say. Does Garbrandt have one win in there coming off the Dillashaw losses? I'm fairly positive that none of them have a win in the last two years. True, true, true. Right. Um, 
Uh, let me check real quick. Uh, no, it says here that uh, Cody Garbrandt's last win was over Dominic Cruz. <laughs> that was in uh, December of 2016. Am I right or That's wrong? That's correct. 100% correct. Dominic Cruz's last win. Are was, you going back to Dillashaw? Was against, in... was against Uriah Faber. Yeah, that was in June of 2016. Am I wrong? Um, that was in June of 2016. You are 100% right on that one. And Uriah Faber's last win? That's a tough one. Did he maybe fight some jobber on the way out? When's he, his last he beat, win? He beat Brad Pickett in December of 2016. But the bottom line okay. is, is oh, none, so... none of them have won since 2016. That's the most right. recent win. And Henry Cejudo wants those guys instead of Aljamain Sterling, instead of Petr Jan, instead of uh, Juicier Formiga, Joseph Benavidez, Joseph Benavidez, who has a win over him. He wants fucking <laughs> Uriah Faber. Well, certainly he was going for the money callouts, right? But are those even money callouts? Like, is a money call like is a Uriah Faber main event in 2019 a money main event? I don't think it is. Is Cody Garbrand coming off three straight losses uh, a money main event? I don't think it is. He just got knocked out by by Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz is a better main event. You know, it's actually interesting, too, when you think about the new pay-per-view model on ESPN, which is, you know, struggling, to say the least, to pop the old-school style of buy rate. You're really actually very much right, too. It's not like Uriah Faber is going to magically pop a, you know, they're averaging 100K on this new ESPN pay-per-view model, more or less, is the first thought with the first couple of shows. That ain't going to double the average all of a sudden. No. Not not under any circumstance. Look, I, I would be completely uninterested to see him fight any of those three, which is why I said, like I said, that's the cringiest thing he's done in a long line. You know, he took a, a fake snake out and slammed it on the stage, and that was much less cringy than these call-outs. We'll move along and do a little Sunday matchmaker. Valentina Shevchenko with a scary head kick KO over Jessica I retains her title. Who fights Valentina for this flyweight title next? I think it's probably got to be the winner of Roxanne Modafari and Liz Carmouche. Um, they're not like exciting up and coming prospects here. And, and Roxy's already had her shot at the title. But as far as like deserving ones, I think they make the most sense. Caitlin Chokagian did beat Jojo Calderwood recently. It, it wasn't a real impressive win. And she's got that loss to Jessica I recently. So like, I, I'm not interested in seeing her fight for the title yet. She needs another win in there. And I think there are a lot of like young up and comers in that division. They're just like two or three fights away. Like Montana De La Rosa, Andrea Lee, they, they could all sort of make it to the top in, the, in a couple of fights. But people who are one fight away, I think it's got to be the winner of that matchup. Tony Ferguson defeated Donald Cerrone with a doctor stoppage. Uh, Dana White tried to say that maybe this should be run back. I don't think anyone wants to see that. It was pretty clear that Ferguson was winning that fight. Uh, let me see here and just check my notes. Tony Ferguson won his, what number is that? Oh, I don't know. 1,000th fight in a row. Gumby, what do you do with Tony Ferguson? He's got to have the title shot. The winner of, of Dustin Poirier and Habib Nurmagomedov is the only answer for Tony Ferguson. And somebody get the kid a passport just in case something happens to Dustin Poirier so we can make that match happen. I threw it out on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, got some good feedback asking, are you fans, are you the fans, confident 
that Habib and Tony will finally fight sometime in the next 18 months. Now, of course, someone might be saying, no, I don't think they're going to fight because Dustin Poirier is going to win this September. But short of that, let's assume that Habib continues his undefeated streak and wins. People were pretty <laughs> pro and positive in the fact that they would fight. I think the matchup is cursed. I don't even know if it could really happen. Do you think if Khabib wins this September, the MMA gods allow it to happen? I think it's got to. I mean, like, they at least got to try to book it again. If something happens, something happens, and, like, then we'll be able to say it's cursed. But the UFC's got to at least try. The dude's won fucking 13 in a row, and it technically has been an interim champion already. And if you it's look funny at, that the... if you look at his list too of, of people he's beaten during this run, it's one of the most incredible runs. Maybe and, and I'll I'll you know toss this over to you in a second. Maybe the most impressive run in the history of the UFC when we're talking about winning streaks. He just beat Cowboy Cerrone, who granted is not a cha- a former champion, but he's beaten in this run. Anthony Pettis, who's a former champion. Rafael Dos Anjos, who's a former champion. Former champion. Uh, he's also beaten people like Kevin Lee, uh, Edson Barboza. If you go back, somebody like Gleason Tibas, like at least a reputable name. Th- this winning streak has got an incredible batch of names on it. And uh, to, to not culminate in like a real title fight is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it is certainly... I would say this, if the division ended tomorrow, and God, I hope that would never happen, because 155 is one of the most exciting and talent-rich divisions in the UFC. He's the greatest 155-er of all time, bar none. I don't care who you want to throw at me. He is the greatest 155-er of all time. As far as most impressive runs, I still take John Jones over it, just because of the amount of names of yeah. legends he beat on the way up, plus the two wins over Cormier. But that might be another story for another day. You make a very solid point, and I agree with you. It's title or bust at this point, although I would love to see him versus Justin Gaethje. But I'll tell you what, at this point, let's go full WWE Gumby. If they can't make Tony versus Khabib happen, just give Tony his own fucking title. They could have 255, (laughs) the Intercontinental 155-pound title and the World 155-pound title. I don't give a fuck. Tony needs to be a title holder of some kind. We'll move along. Dana White said that the UFC flyweight division men's is here to stay, even though uh, Henry Cejudo just won the 135-pound title. Rather surprising, no? I'm shocked, to be honest. I I can't believe that he's still standing by that. Because to me, you know, the fact that they have less fighters in the division... It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, change how I feel about flyweight. Like, if they wanted to cut down the number of fighters they had, but it's who they're cutting. You know, like, cutting Wilson Hayes and Ben Wynn and John Moraga, like, those are really fucking good fighters. So the fact that they're cutting them all, now Sergio Pettis is suddenly a 135-pounder. Ray Borg's a 35-pounder. Like, clearly you don't have a 125-pound division anymore. You're, I, I don't know why you're, you're pretending you still do. Maybe, maybe you think it's good publicity, but it's not good publicity. It's not real. Chris Weidman said he is moving up to 205, probably the right decision. He also said he could give John Jones a run or challenge. Uh, we threw this out on our Twitter. Do you agree with Chris Weidman? Majority of fans said no. What do you think? Uh, he definitely doesn't have anything to give John Jones because most people don't have to, anything to give to John Jones. Look, I think he's saying this because, and I I think this comes from a lot of wrestlers in MMA, 
is they think that their wrestling in college or their previous wrestling experience is higher level than John Jones. Um, you know, like uh, look at Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier thought he had a wrestling advantage going into that fight because John Jones was a JUCO wrestler, and in you know Daniel Cormier was Daniel Cormier, right? Like so, he thought he had a wrestling advantage for that reason. Chris Weidman might think the same thing, but the bottom line is John Jones has implemented his wrestling so well into the MMA game, better than anybody in history, and I think for that reason, people are mistakenly judging his skills sometimes. Some breaking news here as we wrap up the fastest fight news, Gumby. Brett Akamamamamamoto reporting, while not signed yet, the UFC is close to finalizing Jessica Andrade's first throwaway title defense, and it would be against Wiley Zhang in China. Rather surprising after Tatiana Suarez uh, put on such a clinic on Saturday, but what do you think of the matchup? So I think this is probably two things. Number one is it's probably a timing issue for Tatiana Suarez. She did have a 15-minute battle and as a result like the quick turnaround probably doesn't make all that much sense right um so i think that's probably some of it and i think the second part is the clear marketability the ufc is looking to do more work in china right like they love the the population over there they think it's an untapped market they just recently put a performance institute in china uh as a result of that i think they're trying to capitalize on the fact that they have a clear future star on their hands and maybe possibly a fighter who is a really bad matchup for Jessica Andrade, right? Because Jessica Andrade, look, by all accounts, got outworked on the feet by Rose Namajunas until that slam happened. I'm, I'm not sure she won more than one second of that fight. And that's not saying that she's not a good fighter or she's not good, but it is saying that Weili Zhang, if she can do the same thing that Rose did on the feet... She also is a pretty darn good defensive wrestler. So in the same sense, it could be a bad night for Jessica Andrade, and it would be a huge boost to the UFC in China. Very well said, Gumby. All I have to say, though, is whoever wins that fight is just keeping that belt warm for our girl Tatiana Suarez, and that's all there is to say about that. Let's move to our other favorite uh, segment on the show. It's the Combat Countdown. Uh, Dana White's Contender Series is back for the summer. Uh, it's a very exciting concept. We enjoyed it last year. And there have actually been some pretty good alumni off the show in its short run. So we are going to count down the top five Contender Series alumni this week. We, of course, threw it out to our fans on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We took in their feedback. We compiled the list. But before we give you that list, Gumby, I do wonder if any company may sponsor this combat countdown. The Combat Countdown, as always, is sponsored by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard that you can talk, breathe, and drink all with that mouthguard up in your mouth. It protects your chompers and allows you to not have to stick your dirty hands in your mouth, which is a huge, huge bonus when you're doing jiu-jitsu because I like to talk to my training partners. I, of course, always need to be hydrated, and now I don't have to take that big, thick mouthguard out of my mouth. Instead, I've got a nice, thin Sisu one that breathes all while I can train. So head on over to SISUGuard.com. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE15 and get 15% off all your mouth guard needs. So sometimes we do a list where, you know, there are a couple of people that maybe barely make the cut or we're kind of filling out a list with not a ton of options, not enough meat on the bone. We had a lot of meat on this bone. In the short run of the Contender Series, 
There have actually been some really good alumni who have made immediate impacts in the UFC. Let's start with this, Gumby. Talk about the honorable mentions who were just on the cusp. So I, I know Twitter is probably not going to like this one, but I, I'm going to put uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley as my first honorable mention. He is 2-0 in the UFC. He's 2-0 with two decisions, and he's got that killer knockout from uh, Dana White Contender Series, the first go-round. Uh, and, and I think he has a lot of potential in the division, but I think in the same token, he's a little bit further down than some of these other guys because these other guys are proven and have had a little bit more dominant performances. Not that his performance against Andre Sukumta didn't look good, uh, but with the broken foot, it obviously could have been far more dominant. Another one I'm putting on the honorable mention list, and this will be my last uh, honorable mention, is Macy Barber. I know people are, are completely jacked up on Macy Barber. I'm not 100% sold, mostly because I think last time out, she got outstruck a little bit on her feet by J.J. Aldrich. And, uh, you know, like if, if she's, you know, she's touting herself as like the youngest future champ of all time. And I think she's got a bright future in, in whatever division she nails down. But I also think she's got to sharpen some things up before she gets there. All right, let's get to the real top five. We're going to start, as always, with number five. It's Jimmy Crute. Yeah, Jimmy Crute. And I think some people have not realized how good this dude's resume is. First of all, he's 10-0 and in MMA. Second of all, after winning on the Contender Series and getting his, his first round TKO to get him his contract, he has finished back-to-back fights over Paul Craig, who, by the way, he submitted. He submitted Paul Craig. And then he knocked out Sam Alvey. That is an incredible run for a guy as young as he is because the dude is only 23 years old. So, I mean, I think that this dude's got a very bright future, especially in a division that could use some depth. We'll move then to number four, and it's Jeff Neal. Yeah, Jeff Neal. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jeff Neal. Uh, he was ranked for a very brief moment at uh, at welterweight because I, I think he's he's got a bright future. He's got a whole lot going on. It just happens to be a really stacked division right now that makes it a little bit harder for him to jump up quick. But he's got a whole bunch of fights, including a win over Bilal Muhammad, who is a, a killer in that division. So, and of course, we're always a little bit biased towards Fortis MMA guys. So uh, we had to pop him in on this list above those honorable mentions. Well, we just saw number three skills put on display, and he's very impressive. When we threw this out to the Twitter universe, a lot of people responded uh, with our number three pick, and that's Ian Heinish. Yeah, Ian Heinish is a huge future star in this this organization for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, yeah, did we not just watch him be Antonio Carlos Jr., right? Like, Antonio Carlos Jr., hell of a grappler, had trouble grappling him, right? Which is super, super crazy. And on top of that, too, he's got the great backstory. And they're considering making a Hollywood movie after him and rumored to have Channing Tatum in it. So absolute star in the making with Ian Heinish. And, uh, you know, obviously the sky's the limit if he keeps winning fights like that last one. What do you think more impressive to him? The fact that we rated him number three on our combat countdown or the fact that there might be a movie starring Channing Tatum about? <laughs> I, I have to go with the combat countdown always. <laughs> I like it. Hometown proud. Number two, very impressive fighter. Uh, he's coming off a win uh, back in March of 2019. Uh, and we're talking about Sadiq. Yusuf. Yeah, Sadiq Yusuf, and, and this is a 100% a skills-based one, because I, I just love 
everything he does on the feet. He he completely outworks Shaman Marias on the feet. And Shaman Marias is no joke. The dude went five rounds uh, with Marlon Marias back in World Series of Fighting. He's fighting Gabriel Benitez, who is a super underrated guy. He's going to be fighting him in August at UFC 241. So that's a fight I'm looking forward to and one that would certainly get him uh, a ranked opponent. Well, I think our number one probably is the most name brand value. Uh, and that's also because his name matches a very famous uh, Scotch whiskey. I, of course, am talking about Johnny Walker. Yeah, Johnny Walker. And this one's kind of cheap that we put it on here because he was on the Brazilian uh, version of Contender Series. But since the Brazilian version of the Contender Series, the dude has a knockout by elbow, spinning hook kick in a back fist, and a flying knee. And if you're looking for a better collection of knockouts in your first three fights, I promise you, you will not find it. Because they're spectacular, they're amazing, he's great on the mic, bad at doing the worm, but apart from that, the dude is a future star in the division, whether he gets that crack at John Jones or not. Yeah, he he is a fast-rising star in a division that's turning over quickly. We talked about it last week with... uh, uh, Gustafson recently retiring with Manoa retiring rumble's been retired. DC moved up the face of two Oh five. The whole dynamic is changing and he's going to be a big part of that turnover along with guys like Anthony Smith. Um, all right. That wraps up our combat countdown. Hit us up on our Twitter at the turtle MMA. Let us know if you loved it. Let us know if you hated it. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. Currently Gumby that about does it for us. Why don't you take us home wrap this show up, do any house cleaning we need to do, and let's call it a day. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you guys so much for listening in. We would not have a show without fans. We would also not have the show without our sponsors like Sheath Underwear. Go to sheathunderwear.com and make sure to use promo code FLOW to get 20% off underwear that is changing the underwear game. They're not boxers. They're not briefs. They're innovative new underwear with an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow to your cash and prizes while giving them the support they need. It's like all the qualities of a boxer that you like, all the qualities of the briefs you like, all jammed into one pair of underwear. You're going to want to check them out, sheathunderwear.com. We also want to thank our other three sponsors, Sisu Mouthguards, ADK Fightwear, and Maroon Social. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app. We want to thank the Mothership Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. And we want to remind you to check out our Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA, for upcoming contests, combat countdown topics, and all kinds of other fun content. Once again, I am Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.